What up, people? Hope everyone's well. Rainy here on the East Coast. Humid as can be. It's yucky out, and that is a word. I'm Guy Adami. I'm always joined by Dan Nathan. This is Market Call. We will put 30 minutes on the clock. I'm not confident, though, that we can speak within those parameters, but we'll see what happens. In just a minute, we'll be joined by the great, and he is great, Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting. Today's episode brought to you by FactSet, financial data and analytics that are powered by tomorrow, Dan. And we're powered by Open Exchange. We've reached the Midsummer Night Classic. That's the all-star break in Major League Baseball. But we got no breaks here, Dan Nathan. None whatsoever. No, I mean, we got some breaks in the charts here, but they're kind of like, oh, saw what we did there. You know, it really feels like you and Carter have been talking about this kind of, I don't know, it really feels like parts of the market that had gotten absolutely schmeistered earlier in the year. We're doing a little back and filling. They're kind of putting in some lows. They were showing decent relative strength to the major indices. And I think that's like on a day like Friday, in a day like today, that's really kind of what we saw, the way that the banks screamed guy mm-hmm. on Friday. It didn't really speak to a turn in their fundamentals. It spoke more towards the sentiment couldn't get much worse and the news was going to have to be really bad to take them lower here. But I guess the commentary out of the CEOs is probably the most important thing if you want to extrapolate that to what's going on in the economy and how we're going to come out of this sort of economic malaise that we are in, guy. That's exactly right. And listen to your point. I mean, somebody, I mean, JP Morgan probably was a 40% peak to trough decline in terms of its all time high to where we recently trade down to a 52 week low. So I think you're right. You know, they were due for a bounce, but I will say this. And I think you agree. Even with that said, they're not trading particularly well. And to your point about CEO's commentary, well, let's take a look at what David Solomon, the CEO of Goldman Sachs, said on the earnings call. And basically, deeply entrenched inflation in the global economy. And I agree with him on that. And again, you know, deeply entrenched to me means, you know, we've probably got a year to 18 months of this left. And I don't know how markets perform under those situations because it means central banks have to be, regardless of what's going on, they have to continue to sort of keep their foot on the rate hike balance sheet reduction pedal. Yeah, I guess the thing, you know, we've spent a lot of time talking about this, you know, the rollover in lots of industrial commodities and in, in oil and in, in some in wheat and that sort of thing. And I mean, ultimately, you know, if you're keeping an eye on those kind of five-year inflation break-evens, I mean, they're coming down mm-hmm. and they're coming down hard, right? So the idea of like, where do we get a sense for what peak inflation is? I mean, at some point, this Federal Reserve and central banks around the world, they'll probably take our lead a little bit. You know, they're going to get a bit more dovish, right? when they see that they've broken the back of inflation. And I know that you believe that they can't really control that, at least the timing, you know what I mean? But we will bottom in equity markets prior to, you know what I mean, like the all clear sign. I mean, and I know you agree with that. Here's one, though, I just want to kind of going back to Goldman, the stock guy, you were saying, and you have been saying for weeks here, that you thought Goldman, Morgan, the companies that have less reliance on kind of lending and on the net interest margins and and have active fixed income trading and all this, we're going to do very well here. And you were right on Goldman. I mean, it was a huge number here. The question I have for you now, and we're going to go into greater detail with Carter on this in a few minutes here, look where the stock gapped to, right? It traded up you know, massively on Friday, not a great setup for the earnings print. 
gaps above that downtrend. Now it comes all the way in here, trading below it. What does that that kind of price action speak to you and Goldman right here? Well, you, I mean, I know you know the answer. It's not particularly, it's not trading particularly well when you effectively open on highs and then spend the rest of the day, at least up until one o'clock Eastern time, sort of slowly giving it back on decent volume. That doesn't augur particularly well. And, you know, it's interesting, this headline from CNBC, I think it was CNBC. What does it say? Crushes analysts. They didn't really crush. I will tell you the high end of guidance that I saw, at least the high end of expectations for EPS had a nine handle on it. And they didn't come out with that. So it was a good quarter. Again, they did trade well. All the things that I thought would happen happened. And now book value in Goldman Sachs is north of $301, up from, I think, 298 So you, know, you can do the math. We're actually right now trading right around book value or slightly below. But it's not trading well today at all. And it, to me, the close is going to be interesting. The amount of volume it trades today is going to be interesting. And if it gives it up today and closes red, I don't think that speaks particularly well for obviously Goldman Sachs, but this, the banks in general, Dan. Yeah, so your, your point is if it fills in that gap, that would be an outright disaster from, you know, just from a price action standpoint. I would say this is that, you know, when you talk about crushing a quarter, expectations had come in a lot. Sentiment was very poor. The stock was trading near 52-week lows just a few trading days ago. And I think your point, you know, late last week was like, listen, if it could hold this kind of 278 level or something like that, this sets up pretty decently for a trade. Well, you had that trade into the print. So we'll go into greater depth with the banks with Carter in a second, but that was a good trading call by you, Guy. Let's look at our friend Mike Wilson from Morgan Stanley. He is a fairly bearish strategist over there. He's had the call right all year long here. You see Carl Quintanilla um, must, must have spoke to him this morning, but Mike puts out a piece every Monday morning. And listen, you know he's talking about how nasty this cycle, but how quick it's happening. And that also reminds you a little bit about the recession in the bear market that we had in early 2020 here. Thoughts on this comment about coming out of it quicker than we have in, in past recessions or bear markets. You know, it's interesting. I happen to agree with this. And if you've really listened to us over the years here on Market Call or Fast Money, what, one of the things I've said is things happen faster now than they did five years ago, 10 years ago. And I think that's his point to a certain extent. Things are moving very quickly, which is a good thing. So what historically takes, let's say, 18 months to complete, I think today's market, you could do it in less than a year. And again, I think that augurs well for the fact that we can turn this thing around at some point. But it's painful getting there, and I think he mentioned that as well. So I think he's right. I'm not surprised that things are moving faster because I think that's just the world we live in. And we'll see how it plays itself out. You know, I think you would agree, Dan. You know, I think there is one more leg to this thing to the downside. I'd be surprised if we didn't see it. I thought we'd get to 4,100 with each passing day in the S&P. It seems less likely we're going to do that. Yeah. And a lot of this to me is contingent upon, look, Microsoft clearly, but Apple is the one that I'm really waiting for. And that's something I've said now for the last month, a month and a half. Yeah, well, it's amazing how price action guy can change people's views on where they think they're going. I mean, listen, even if we had an S&P go to 4,000 or, or maybe even that breakout down level at 4,100, I'd still be saying if nothing else changed, that equities still haven't corrected enough, at least those major ones that you just kind of mentioned here. We know that large parts, if we kind of flash forward a little bit to the net, the NASDAQ 100, the NDX here, I mean, large parts of the NDX have been correcting for over a year, mm-hmm. right? And it really is just those kind of 
four major names. All that being said, guy, next week we're gonna have Mall Report throw in Meta and, and and you know Tesla later this week. You know, we're gonna have the bulk of the weight of the NDX here. You see that resistance level there, 12,200 or so. Man, if we get through that thing, it's a straight shot to that breakdown level at 13,000 from early May. And I'm just curious, I mean, at that point, I think the stocks will have kind of discounted all of that negative sentiment. And then you wanna be like, okay, well, maybe they didn't give it all to us, meaning the guidance. Maybe they're trying to piece it out little by little. And that would be a brilliant spot to probably lay shorts back out. I think that's exactly right. And you know, you could see where you could have one of these mini island reversals to the downside in the, in the NASDAQ and the NDX based on all the things we just talked about, the big guys and gals coming up, Microsoft, Apple, and then to a lesser extent, I guess, Google and Facebook, and we'll see how it plays out. You know, it's interesting, and we talk about this all the time. I'm not trying to beat a dead horse, but I'll say the Microsoft guide the first time was on currency. You really have to be concerned if Microsoft were to come out and guide on demand. And, yeah. you know, if you start connecting dots, and you brought this up, ServiceNow, you start connecting the dots from a ServiceNow commentary from Bill McDermott, I mean, it sort of puts the crosshairs right on Microsoft. So I'm hard-pressed to believe you're going to see a quarter out of Microsoft that's been as strong as we've seen over the last couple of years. But that's what makes markets, as they say. Yeah, and, you know, listen, earnings season, it, you know, it, it is like a monolith, right? Because it all happens within a few weeks sort of period. But sometimes things, the way the information comes out, the way the market processes it when investors have different views about sentiment in general, you know, like for instance, you know, the market was in a rally when we heard that service now music or guidance and it kind of took, you know, the whole sector down. Now we have a different mood of the market here and you may have a couple of those different names kind of cancel each other out, right? And sometimes it really isn't a dull market where you get these big moves one way or another. So again, you know, it doesn't mean just because we're in earning season where we have to have the price action confirms the fundamentals. Sometimes they, uh, they, you know, they act differently. Here's a, a name. It's not even a name. It is a huge, huge part Yields. of global financial markets. And this has not been acting with what you think it would be, right, guys? So we had that move in the 10-year. We've been talking about it, three and a half-ish. We've come all the way down to 275. You thought it would come down to those sorts of levels. It's kind of dealing with this downtrend over the last month here. What happens with yields if we were to break out and head back to three and a quarter or break down and test that 275 level? A move to three, again, my opinion, a move to three and a quarter in 10 year, which I think is the least likely outcome of the two, means that inflation is out of control. And not only are two years moving higher, but 10 years as well. Mm -hmm. A move down to two and a half, which I think is potentially an outcome, means that the economy is slowing to a point where you know, the, these yields, 3%, is not commensurate with the growth we're seeing in the economy. So we'll see how it plays out. I guess my point, though, is, again, my opinion, either outcome, yields higher or yields lower, is probably not constructive for the broader market. So we'll see how it plays out. But yeah. again, just look at the moves we've seen. You outlined it to a certain extent, three and a quarter, 330, down to 275, back to three, down to 290, back to three. The market's trying to figure this out as well. It's struggling with it. 
I do think we will see a break to the downside in yields, which means that TLT, which has a decent little double bottom, I think is worthy of a long side play. Well, our friend Carter Braxton Worth at Worth Charting actually laid that out last week. Guy, you might have been at the beach, but he's been kind of charting the TLT for a move mm-hmm. like that. One of the things that's really interesting, you've been talking about this. You were calling for an inverted 210 yield curve. We are down now negative 18, 19 bips here, guys. So to your point, if the 10-year were to come in and the two-year were to stay put, you really, that is the the definition of stagflation, Mm -hmm. right? And so that's the one thing I want to take you, and I know you get all geeked up when you see tweets from EY from SoFi, Liz Young here. She's talking about home builder sentiment falling off a cliff here. I mean, this is some of the stuff that we've seen the stock market come in. So you have the negative wealth effect from that. Are we likely to see it from the housing market in the coming months? And then the last shoe to drop, which would almost ensure a difficult stock trading period because it would confirm stagflation if we were to see unemployment start to tick up, right? That would be a disaster. No, look, you're so spot on with that. And right now, the only real thing that they're leaning, I guess that they're sort of building the positive economy construct on is that employment is strong, right? And But I think everything else has sort of fallen by the wayside. And you've been on top of this housing story ever since Joe Zidal from Blackstone came on Fast Money probably four and a half or so, maybe four or so months ago. Two months ago, two months ago. Two months ago and tried to really paint a a rosy outlook for housing and you pushed back in a meaningful way. So you've been on it. We'll see how it plays out. I still thought and think to a certain extent that home builders are worthy of a long side trade here given that so many of them gotten whacked. Some of them have bounced off these lows and you're going to draw this line of resistance, but we'll see how it plays out. It's probably, as Carter would say, this is probably a pair of twos at best, but we'll see. Yeah, I mean, I guess it really comes down to some of those kind of fundamental readings that we're just starting to see some weakening demand here. We know that the demand had been outstripping supply. We know that rates were unusually low, but we also know that the mortgage on the on the 30-year had the fastest increase, you know, in, I don't know, ever, basically. And it really is kind of hurting, I think, demand right now. And there was also some really weird supply-demand dynamics because of the pandemic. All right, let's hit one last thing here before we get to CB. W here, Morgan Stanley downgraded Paramount and Fox. They see a possible streaming recession. So, guy, you've been on this one for a long time. All the pluses that people were putting after their studios, and that meant that it's a streaming service. You could go to the application store and buy the app and then stream the videos, and you were never having any of it, were you, guy? No, but it just didn't. It, you know, once the first one did, I think it was Paramount Plus. Who even remembers who Disney started Plus, it? Disney Plus, Hulu Plus. It all jumped ESPN on the back Plus. of it. I'm like, you know, this is just asinine. And, you know, people get paid to make these decisions. I mean, holy shit, I could have done that and and said, listen, maybe we should go a different route here. But that's neither here nor there. What does it mean? Well, what does it mean for Netflix, a stock that, listen, has not traded well, has not bounced at all now for quite some time. Now, there are gaps in this chart clearly, as you can see. But my God, the stock has not traded well. Even when the market's bounced, you have not seen commensurate moves in Netflix. And you think you would 
just on the function of the fact that you know what a beta name this is, and we'll see. So, yeah. look, I think the right way to trade this probably into an earnings release is just to take a shot on the long side and a flyer. But man, oh man, you're playing with fire right now. I think well, in Netflix. I think you know I bought some about a month ago, and mm-hmm. it literally is like a quarter position. I fully expect one more gap here. And again, people would say, well, why would you buy a stock if it's going to have another gap like it had over the last two quarters? And the point is, I have no idea where its stock's going to bottom here. There's a lot of things that I like about it. I don't love the fact that they're shedding subscribers. I think they lost you know, 200, 250,000, and that was the thing that caused a 30% drop last quarter. They might lose a couple million. That's kind of the whisper to the downside. But you have to start somewhere here. So this is one that I want to be a bit more constructive. And again, if I was coming into this thing, I'm not sure I'd play it. Look at that overhead resistance. You see the high of that gap yeah. level, about 250. You see 200 bucks. Could it be in there in a heartbeat guy and a short squeeze? if the numbers are not as bad as expected. No doubt about it here. But again, the way I'm building some positions looking out a year or two, three, is that I want to buy them when they're coming my way. And that means generally on bad news or a nasty market. All right, that's it for Netflix, guy. No, listen, I think you're being tactical. I think you're being smart. You're layering into position over the course of many months, if not longer. That's the right thing to do. You know, for me, just my trading hat says... It's worth a shot here, but it tells you all you need to know. On up days, the stock doesn't perform. On down days, it underperforms. So we'll see how it well, plays Well, I out. guess let me make one last point here. And just from our experience trading through bear markets, especially with like prior market leaders, there's not going to be one quarter. There's not going to be one announcement that you can say that's it. That's over. It's done going down. It's just not, it doesn't happen that way, right? And so you want to be tactical around some of these events because you know there's a potential for big gaps up and down but by the same token if you're building an investment position i mean you really kind of want to avoid you know having to make a call right before one quarter i guess i'll just leave it at all right let's bring in that's right bring them in you bring them in in. carter braxton worth of worth charting the man the myth the legend Look at, look at that, whoa, whoa, look at that he, setup. Like the Met? Where are you? Like in, I mean, are you at the Louvre? Yeah, I'm in, I'm in the museum at a quiet corner. You're supposed to be quiet in here, so I'll have to keep it. Uh, no, I'm not in the city, just the country a bit. Uh, you know, something you were saying is kind of interesting. You, well, how, what did you say? You said Goldman crushes numbers? Not what you said, but someone had said that. CNBC's you know, headlines correct. suggested okay. that, yeah. So journalism is a funny thing. Let's take this. On Friday, you know, Citibank came out with very... Well, forget the numbers, but the headlines were Citibank surges on earnings up 13%, biggest move in three years. Now, the same in 1950 be written like this. Citibank, the worst performing stock in the BKX, down 45% from its peak before earnings, mm-hmm. was able to recoup ground, is now down only 37%. I mean, that's the truth, right? You can always play around, make it sound really good. That's sensationalism, and it's a type of journalism, but the facts are the facts. A stock that's down hard, like a Goldman or a city, that has a, a bounce, it's feeble. It doesn't change the circumstance, which is a weak stock in an established effort, and you drew those lines, right, Dan, or you have it there on your chart. It's what it is. No, listen, Rally. quickly, I don't, we don't have a lot of time, and I don't want to take yours up, but I'll say this. you know, you, When you see those headlines, you really need to understand – a lot of times the people writing these headlines are, you know, junior people to a certain extent. They're trying to use yeah. words. They're going to be eye-catching, but mm-hmm. it's not suggestive of anything that really went on. So I, I think it's a good job by you pointing that out. 
Yeah, well, Carter, it also happens a lot around earnings season here, and we're going to have a busy week this week. You know, banks got it obviously kicked off last week. It was very focused on just financial institutions, but we're going to get a pretty wide swath this week. And then next week, we're going to have to do some some heavy lifting here, buddy, because we got, you know, the big, the, the big kahunas here. Talk to us a little bit about what we're seeing in like a Goldman Sachs. We're just using that as an example because that's the name of the day here. And you did some charting on that. You heard what we had to say about that gap. Walk us through that and, and how you're thinking about other financial stocks that have been obviously very active over the last few days. Right. So in general, I want to be underweight financials. And I think the reaction to earnings, generally speaking, is muted. We've had several that were making new lows, a few that popped, City or Goldman here. But intraday action, which you discussed, is very important. So same line you drew, but basically Goldman has rallied right to the downtrend line. It is struggling at that line. The real question is this. How do you determine whether a day is bullish or bearish, meaning the fact that it opened at the high is slipping all day. It's like slipping off the chin bar. You can't mm. hold it. So is it bearish or is it bullish? It's, up, it's still up. It's up big. It gapped up. And so at the end of the day, when the market closes at four, each day for each stock has to go in the bear or bull column. And the only way to do that is this. Higher high, higher low, higher close, bullish day. So despite the fact that it is faded, and it is, and the bounce is feeble, and it's giving it all back, it still goes into bullish column as a print for the day, a heavy volume advance. But does it change the circumstance that Goldman is in, which is an established downtrend? No. And you can see where it failed right at that downtrend. Well, we got a five-year chart just to show you also where- That's what I was going to say. Yeah, exactly. So so it, it's found its footing, which is it stopped going down. That's the first act. Is it really starting to do the second act, which is start to go up? I don't think so. And that's what a pair of twos is, right? It's sort of, do you really short that here? Do we get long? Why? So leave it alone. Yeah. Well, here's one that people have left alone for a very long time. They report today after the close. It's IBM, Carter. And this is one that's really interesting. On my main fact set board with 100 tech stocks, okay, this is the only one that is up on the year, okay? It's up a little more than 7% here. And I gotta tell you, you play this game all the time with the charts, take the names off the charts. If you didn't know what it was, you have no preconceived ideas. What I've looked at your charts here is like, I'm kind of like, oh man, that looks pretty good. So convince us why we should ignore the fundamentals in IBM and take a crack at this one. So let's draw a line and see if we can do some convincing. No lines on that chart, but look at those lines. now. Now, look at the next iteration. Look how precise the, I mean, you know, this is a great anathema the CFA Society to the Harvard Middle School that, you know, we can explain, right? Why does it stop at that line? It's not a DCF. It's not an enterprise value. God, it's nice price to book. It's because charts matter. And I have no more knowledge in principle than you do. If you do the work, anyone who's listening to this, you'll be a great chartist. What do we know? It has moved above the downturn line. There's no way around it. The relative strength is good. You just heard Dan say it's up on here when everything else is struggling. I think we've got some short-term charts that sort of you can draw the lines. I mean, it's toying with the prospects of a breakout. And then you can make it a, you can call it this ascending triangle. You can also call it a, a cup and handle or head and shoulder. Mm-hmm. The point is this has all the elements of something that is poised to pop. And before we take a look at Tesla, because I think that's important, if you can go back to that nine-year chart, and Carter, you can back this up. I mean, the longer the duration, the more powerful the breakout. And you're talking about, again, a nine-year downtrend that we seemingly are breaking out of. Now, you recall, Dan, I know you know this, IBM 
really needed to take a flyer and they bought Red Hat, they probably overpaid. It didn't necessarily matter. I think the integration's been good. And I st- I'm starting to think they're reaping some of the rewards for that acquisition and for that integration. So I'm with you here. I actually think you can buy IBM for trade. And in an environment where people are fleeing technology on valuation, you can actually wrap your head around or wrap your arms around the valuation that IBM trades at. So I think Carter's smart to point this out. Dan. Yeah, it's an interesting setup, and it kind of reminds me of maybe some financial-oriented stocks in the wake of the financial crisis or tech stocks You know, 20 years ago, is that oftentimes you'll see money move into kind of defensive-looking things, right, that have like defensive valuations. But then when it feels like the bull market's back on, they move right back into kind of high-valuation growth. So uh, well, let's definitely keep an eye on that. I mean, I, you know, one thing I would say about the quarter is that if they're able to put up a good quarter and decent guidance, this stock will be bought and it will kind of break out in the way that Carter's you know charts suggest because there's no reason not to at that point, putting two quarters together. All right, here's a company that I think a lot of people think are going to put two quarters together. Guy, you were calling Tesla's quarter last quarter. I think Danny Moses nicknamed it the immaculate quarter, the best quarter. You were, But you were saying that if you were long this stock for all these years and you're waiting for profitability and waiting for leverage in the model and you're waiting for you know market share gains to be this, that, and whatever, and you know that was it, right? Mm-hmm. But you're saying that's as good as it gets. And you were saying that when the stock was 1200 bucks in the aftermarket just three months ago. Obviously, it got down to, I think, about 660 last week or so. Talk to me a little bit about the setup into the print on Wednesday, the way you're thinking about it from a sentiment standpoint, Guy, and then Carter's got some good charts for it. Yeah, well, I think, I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, and my sense is, once again, the quarter's probably going to be strong, and we'll see if you see a commensurate move to the upside. I do think that's probably what you can see. We tested the downside so many times unsuccessfully. It stands to reason maybe we'll get a bounce here, but once again, I would say any bounce you get in this name needs to be faded because, quite frankly, I think what's going on with Elon Musk specifically is going to be problematic for the company. And then at some point, that's going to manifest itself into the stock. So I think you can continue to stay long this name. I would fade any rally you get post earnings. Yeah, no, I would agree. I mean, I listen, I think people who watch Market Call or watch us on Fast Money, I, I actually think we are seeing the great unwind of Elon Musk right now. And I think to your point, Guy, I think there is a massive premium in that stock at $750 billion related to him. And I think if he's not there, I just think it looks like a different stock and a different company. Carter, walk us through these charts here. We've hit this on you know a few occasions on Market Call over the last few weeks, but into this earnings report, I mean, I think the charts are as important as they are at any point. Right. I mean, obviously, and you can feel that tension. I mean, you can see that with no lines drawn. It's a very tight range. It's actually not. It's 600 to 800, so it's a 20% range. And yet, it's very tight for this stock. And what it represents is a huge debate. There are people who are quite certain that this is going to be a good number, and there are people who are quite certain it's not. And they are matched off. The buyers and sellers, the buying is even. And so, typically, you get resolved. And one can say, okay, great, thanks for all that. Which way? My bias is down, let's draw some lines. So what do we know? We know that there is the trend line, and all of this consolidating, all of this backing and filling, all of this debate, all of this equilibrium is taking place below the trend line. Now, another way to draw the lines would be to sort of highlight the actual debate, right? So for the last many weeks, eight plus, nine plus, we're actually a minor series of lower highs and higher lows, working into the apex of that formation. 
And so were you to get a measured move, which is to say that if this is a, a continuation pattern, meaning you have a downtrend, it consolidates and it continues on its way down, look how the lines would be drawn. So here, a breaking trend, we see that. Now let's put some arrows in. And so you get the initial plunge, that's almost 50%. You get the consolidation and then you head down again. Another way to draw the lines is this way. That's the width of the range, the backside of the triangle. Mm -hmm. It projects to 450. My bias is down. You know, as they say, start chances. Yeah. It starts. You know, Guy, as you know, I have a put position near term, near dated in Tesla, and I have not had one in a very long time. And I was looking maybe 550 to the downside, I think, to get to his 450. You need, you know, just a really bad quarter and bad guidance and some other stuff around Elon to see that happen over the course of maybe a couple, you know, months or so. But again, I'll just say this is that, you know, this is one that just an unusually, there's unusual sentiment wrapped up in this, in this stock, unlike anything that we've seen in this whole market cycle. And I think all of us have been around enough where, you know, the market can't bottom until things like this absolutely blow up because there's still too many people who believe in this crap. I agree with that. And that's a market sentiment thing. And by the way, you know, Carter had some amazing calls. His call on crypto, I will tell you, many months ago when Bitcoin was mid-30s, he said, our work suggests Bitcoin's going to trade 20,000, maybe see an overshoot to the downside. That's exactly what happened, Dan. And now you have, though, Raul Paul coming out and saying, you know what, maybe or probably the bottom is in. You know, we can pull that tweet up and take a look at it. But we're getting a bounce on the back of that, I guess, We'll see how long yeah. it holds. Dan. I think that was one. It was just like sentiment, you know, was over exuberant, you know, just a few months ago. And I think Carter's call was, I think it was above 40,000 at that point, And it was above 3,000 in ETH. And then you wanted to play it the other way, not so long ago, maybe about a week or so. Carter, talk us through these charts here and what you're seeing on the Bitcoin here. You know, that 50-day moving average, you know, that would be... I don't know, one more day like today and you're there. ETH looks almost about there. You see the breakdown levels. They're pretty simple here. Talk to us about the potential for these things to make a concerted move through their 50 days. I think that's what's, that's what's happening right as we speak. I mean, you've actually moved through the downtrend lines and Ethereum is sort of leading the way here. It's really performance to Bitcoin that's quite impressive and it has the prospects of filling its gap. So long Bitcoin, long Ethereum, play on the long side. All right, Carter. And then one last one here, Guy Adami, Coinbase. This thing has absolutely been decimated over the last few months, obviously in sympathy with this move in these two major cryptocurrencies. You know, to me, this is a short squeeze, the equity. I mean, mm -hmm. I guess I'd rather be in Bitcoin or ETH than coin at this point. I think that's exactly right. If you're bullish Bitcoin, stay long Bitcoin. If you're bullish Ethereum, stay long Ethereum. I mean, Coinbase to me is sort of one step removed. And again, you know, you saw what happened a couple of weeks or two weeks, two weeks ago in this Voyager news. You saw, I think that might have been a capitulation yeah. in some of these crypto names. But you have to ask yourself, you know, is that the first and last or is that the first of many? And if you think that's the latter, first of many, then I think almost by definition, you have to avoid Coinbase, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. All right, here, this is just hitting the wires here, Guy, and I just want to get your take on this. We've been talking, you know, we heard that Microsoft was slowing hiring, Google was slowing hiring, you know, Oracle was considering, you know, mm -hmm. cutting thousands of jobs. We've heard it from lots of unprofitable private tech. They've been cutting, you know, for 
months now here. Here's the headline. Apple is slowing their hiring. Really? Yes. So you you see that plans to slow hiring and spending for some teams in 2023. Again, who knows? They're probably going to get asked those questions on their call next week. But the point, and we were talking about this as it relates to kind of unemployment ticking up. I mean, we've had unusual circumstances because of hybrid working and all the pandemic stuff where, you know, I mean, we had a really, really tight labor market after going above, what, 10% in unemployment here. I'll just say this, you know, and, and Doug Cass, who, who you know, we both follow very closely, and Doug's a very astute market, you know, commentator and market participant. He just tweeted that, you know, he's getting a bit more defensive. He was been laying out for the last few weeks, as you guys have, why, you know, the market could bounce. And we've had a nice little bounce. But off those kind of June lows, we're up, you know, we're not even up 10% here, but he mm-hmm. said he's getting a bit more defensive. Are you guys both in that camp getting a bit more defensive after this bounce? Carter? I think we've got room to run. I think we can pounce a little more. Yeah, I mean, I've been, you know, you know what I said. I said it on June 14th. That was the last Fed meeting day. I thought 4,100 was in the cards that Thursday, if you remember, was a disastrous day for the market. But then the market sort of found its footing. I think we got as high as, what, 3,960 or so. So I'm sort of with Carter here as well. But, you know, you see a headline from Apple like that. My sense is Apple's probably lower on the back of it. I don't have it in front of me as we speak. And my concern all along has been it will be the Apple quarter and subsequent guide that takes us to the next leg lower. And I think they report on the 26th. But, you know, to me, this is just sort of they're trickling out what could be some pretty, and I'll use the word, shitty news from Apple. Well, I guess the importance is, I mean, the stock did sell off a dollar. That's less than 1%, okay? But the point is, is that if all these companies are doing that, Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg, the headlines in and around, their spending plans have been pretty aggressive here. You put all that together, it just makes for, you know, lower growth. Mm -hmm. It makes for, you know, think about all those companies, what their contribution is to S&P earnings, growth, and margins. So again, it just speaks to the fact that we're going to have a more difficult environment going forward. I guess the question is, to Carter's point, does an 8% bounce off the lows in the S&P 500 justify, you know what I mean, where we are and the sort of guidance we're going to get? We're all going to know. I kind of feel like, listen, guys, I was never as aggressive. I didn't think we're going to get that much of a bounce. You guys have had a nice call here. I suspect we're going to see a new low in the S&P 500 before the summer is over. But again, we all reserve the right to change our minds. Well, as I started this off, we are at the Midsummer Night Classic. Tonight's a home run derby. I will tell you, not that I know or not that I care particularly, but Pete Alonso seems to really care about this for whatever reason. You know, I'm not sure why. Maybe because he's a Met and they seem to get in, you know, enjoy things like this that are meaningless. I think he will win his third home run derby championship tonight for what that's worth. But that's it for today's market call, Dan. Obviously, thanks, Carter Worth, for joining us. You can check out Carter's work often in terms of the emails he sends, in terms of the tweets that he puts out. If you're not following him, you're doing it wrong. I want to thank FactSet. Obviously, we're powered by Open Exchange. We'll be back tomorrow, 1 p.m. Eastern time, once again, for Market Call. Thanks, Carter. Bye, guys. Thanks. 